hold and give and do it at the right time. And the right time is now for this bollocks podcast about the soccers to return to the airwaves. That's all on me. Me auntie passed away last Tuesday. So by the time Wednesday rolled around, it just wasn't the time to do a football podcast. Apologies for that. In fact, no, I'm not sorry for that. I took a day for myself. Up yours. How are we doing, Jack Atkins? <laughs> Condolences to you and the fan, bros. Yeah, never apologised like that. Um, in weird news, uh, I realised this week uh, I've got a new auntie. Um, my dad's long-lost sister got in touch. So uh, that's that's been a mad one. How did that come <laughs> out? Just at the, at the front door, like Paddington Bear? No, just a, a letter in the post just saying, oh, yeah. I'm your, I'm your half-sister. How are a, you doing? A letter? What the hell's a letter? <laughs> I know, I know. I'm not going to go uh, too much into it on air because with, this has literally been the last three days, but it's, it's yeah, it's an odd one. But apart from that, we're all right. Did, did he know you had a sister or was this just out, completely out the blue? Out the blue because my dad's one of three. His eldest brother died a few years ago and his youngest sister died in the last couple of months. And apparently this, uh, this half-sister in London had written to the youngest and the youngest had got it and thought, oh, I don't know how to feel about this. So there was an inkling. And then there was another letter in the post the other day saying, oh, we're getting on a bit now. If you don't want a, if you don't want a relationship, et cetera, blah, 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 blah. But I am uh, your sister. My dad's made up. He's like, hey, I've got a, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> so, Is she rich? So yeah. That's the main thing. Is she rich? She's got her own Wikipedia page. Oh, uh, it's Charlie's Theron. I don't know why that name came to mind, but there we go. I was watching Drag Race the other day. She was on there and looking fantastic. Anyway, this is a football <laughs> podcast about the football. As we always, as on the Holding Gift Football podcast, we start by looking back at football <sighs> history. Clive F over there. I'll let you work out what the F stands for if you're new round here. He tells us what's happened on this day in football history. Well, Ross, we are currently... Recording this very early on a January the 10th, 2024. Yes, that's right. Everything on my screen says so. But on this day in football history, January 10th, 1953, we go to your home. We go to St. James's Park. We go to 63,499 the terraces there. Newcastle, Swansea, third round of the FA Cup. Match abandoned after eight minutes because of fog. There we go. The fog of the time was not fine. I'll tell you that, Ross. <laughs> That's quite an ascent for the fog on the time, though, because I know if you, well, obviously you lived in Newcastle. Yeah, the, yeah. The difference in altitude between St. James's Park and the quayside where the river is, where the fog would reside normally, is a staggering amount of distance. Yeah, and you think in 50s as well. I mean, long after probably Newcastle and, you know, likewise Liverpool's industrial power of the time, but the conditions still wouldn't have been great in terms of general air. As it is, add some fog to that. Game over. Yeah, couldn't see from one end either. Never mind uh, the dip. It's in James's Park from one end to the other. It's like a ski slope. Apparently, when you stand on the pitch, a meters oh. difference. I did the tour last summer. Kayla took me there. A meters difference in height between the Gallagate end, which is the lower end, and the Leeds end, which is the higher end. Wee. So, do you always shoot to the Gallagate second half? Yeah, well, no, mainly because yeah. you get some arseholes who turn it around, don't they? No one goes, boo. It doesn't really matter, though, because St. James's is a fortress. We'll go, we'll go on to, <laughs> to those lads in a minute. But first, we've got to go to 2006, January the 10th. In a deal worth £5.5 million, Patrice Evra joins Man United from Monaco. Uh, he was he was an all right player, wasn't he? Five leagues, three league cups, European club, 
and uh, Club World Cup. Yeah. Uh, not bad at yeah. all. I remember him and obviously Vinic, I think, signed in the same window. Then they had did they have the same mm. debut game? And they both had a bit of a Western Superman. Everyone was like, what the hell is he signed here? Then obviously Nemanja Vinic yeah. and Patrice Evra both came quite good for Man United. Yeah, the, the only time Vidic looked rubbish was he always lost his head against Liverpool. Uh, we used to have bets on in the pub about uh, who would get sent off first. Would it be Javier Mascherado or Nemanja Vidic? Because just one of them would just lose it during Liverpool Man U. But yeah, both fantastic players. Um, talking about people who, who completely lost it, 2015, after pressure from fans, 80s baddie, Cardiff owner Vincent Tan. Remember the fellow in the leather gloves? And the sh- oh, he's amazing. He used to put his shirt, his shirt over his suit shirt. <laughs> he did, but it's the fact that he had like an 80s blue shirt with a white collar as well. Oh, oh proper baddie vibes. Um, he abandoned his plans of forcing the team to wear red because the Bluebirds once again wore all blue for a 1-0 home win over Fulham after mass protests. Um, I remember this happening. I remember Cardiff being absolutely furious because he wanted to change. Then he, the rumors where he wanted to change the name to like the Cardiff Dragons, change the badge to a dragon red because it was a uh, a, a lucky color as opposed to blue. And all the Cardiff fans went, "No, <laughs> just no." What yeah, are you doing? You just don't do that, do you? It, it was that. No. I remember around about the same time there must have been that whole Tigers thingy. Or was that a few years later? But that's a similar sort say- of vibe. Yeah, a couple of years later, maybe. Because right, they put new, they extended the Cardiff City Stadium, didn't they? But they made the seats red, which I think was around that sort of time as well. I don't know if that was mm. either linked or just they wanted some red to go with the blue for a nice bit of contrast. Ooh. Ooh. Talking, <laughs> of, talking of contrast on someone's hair, who was a contrast, it is today uh, the 40th birthday of Marouane Schumach. And as a bald man, I'm, I'm allowed to give him pelters. What a terrible hair thing he had. <laughs> he clung on to that to the last minute. But... I hope he's got a lovely trip to Turkey for his 40th. That's all I'm saying to you. <laughs> I wonder what he looks like now. I reckon it's still there, but even worse than it was when he was in the Premier League. Well, I had a look. Um, no, he shaved it. It, it. it all did go and he, 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 yeah, it, it looked better. Anything could have looked better than that. Bloody hell. I mean, it's got to be difficult. I mean, talk me through it. How did you know it was time for it to go? Obviously, I didn't think you were the most egregious example of a receding hairline. No, I, I I jumped before I was pushed. I knew I knew it was coming because I'd spent years taking the piss out of my dad. Uh, and then before 2019, I thought, Do you know what? I'd shave my head in 2019 anyway because I just used to occasionally shave my head. And I thought I'm going to grow it one last time. Going to have one last hurrah. I thought I'm going to I'm going to look like David Seaman. That's what I'm going to go for. <laughs> <laughs> so over over lockdown because there's no like I grew my hair down to my shoulders. I was just bored of it and just went, get rid of it now. Because it started going and it's gone a lot more because I've been shaving it for two years now. But I could tell I was on a trip to Shearer's Island and I wasn't bothered. I've cut it off many times before. It's just like, that's oh, easier now. Should make it clear that's not at all related to Epstein Island. That is just no. the nickname that the little tuft of hair at the front of Shearer's head was given during his illustrious <laughs> football career. <laughs> yes, nothing, nothing, nothing to do with Epstein Island, Ross. <laughs> Just thought I'd make that clear for people who might, you know, not, might not Alan, might not know Alan Shearer very well at all. Uh, but yeah, it's it's coming for me. I'm glad I grew a beard. Otherwise, do you remember Gene Snitsky in the wrestling? I think I would have looked yeah. like him without the beard if I was to shave my head. <laughs> I, I think he, obviously, he's got a weird face that you can't do anything with. And you don't look like Gene Snitsky in the face. <laughs> but I think him with a bald head and a big beard's a decent look. <laughs> Hard as bowels. Speaking mm. of hard as bowels, who is hard as bowels? It's the better. Hap, hap, hap. <laughs>
the better. We're sitting here, obviously, on Wednesday morning. The Tuesday night before was the first leg of the first Carabao Cup semi-final at the Riverside. Middles better. Hep the better. Beat Chelsea 1-0 in a game where Chelsea played absolutely wank, but also Chelsea should have scored a few goals. It was a weird old mm. game for Chelsea. I'm, I'm just uh, obviously going back to more the Middlesbrough side of it. This saved the, the FA Cup weekend, I think, for the neutral because uh, one of uh, a former colleague at a magazine of mine, it's her favourite weekend of the year is the FA Cup weekend. She goes berserk. She's a Liverpool fan, but she loves it. She loves seeing all the underdogs fighting. She wants those stories. And there wasn't many of it, but... Oh, hep the bearer, as we say. Um, as we've said, week in, week out, Chelsea are such a, an odd team, especially... Obviously, we'll come on to Cole Palmer in a minute, but I thought Cole Palmer's been their standout for the last you know month or so in the league and the pelters he's getting on Twitter, slash X, slash whatever you want to call it. He's getting absolutely wellied this morning. But, you know, yeah, I, I, I've, when you see the miss, you know why. It happens though, doesn't it? It is one hell of a miss. The keeper sort of makes a parry and save. Cole Palmer coming in like a... Traction engine. His body is not his leg when he's kicking the football. His body is the traction engine. Puts it straight over the Denver bar. It's one of the misses of the season. I don't think it is the miss of the season so far because that goes to Isaiah Jones of Middles Better for his effort away at Huddersfield over Christmas there. Did you see it? Where the ball's trickling in and all he has to do is just pass it and he just sort of puts his foot over the ball, I think, and just misses the ball completely. Huddersfield clear. It was a certain goal, but it didn't happen. Cole Palmer, minutes after he did that miss there, Hayden Hackney. Hackney carriages. Hackney, hep, the better. Uh, he put Middlesbrough in the lead. But as I said there, Chelsea should have scored. They had 72% possession on the night. 18 shots compared to just six for Middlesbrough. Yet despite those stats, they just didn't look like they were going to win it. It was weird. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I've only got one fan, uh, mate, who's a Chelsea fan. Uh, and I'd have to ask him, like, what kind of... like. Sirens are they looking at for the January? Obviously, there's been hopefully none. Uh, <laughs> the amount of well, money they've yeah, spent, true, actually, yeah, yeah. But I mean, just in, in case of like we said, apart from Thiago Silva, who did not look happy at all last night, there's not much established heads in there. They, I think they need a bit more composure. They need more of that kind of. Let's let's open the book. They need someone with that winning mentality, Ross, because it just when they have the pants pulled down like this, they do just look like a bunch of kids. Going back to what Graham Sooness would say every weekend about a team that should be doing better than they are. It's all about the senior professionals. I don't know why I made him sound Irish there, but there we go. We'll go with it. It's uh, I, 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 When it comes to Scottish accents, I can only do the, the stereotypical, like, okay, the new. But Graham Sooness didn't sound like that. He's from more Edinburgh, I think, isn't he? So he sounds a bit more like James Bond. <laughs> When you when you do that though, I, I was just picturing Liam Neeson just in like an eighties <laughs> Liverpool kit. That's basically what was Graham Sooners back then, wasn't it? I'll yeah, make you much. I'll make you hard hair live. But he always talks about the senior professionals looking around the dress room, that sort of stuff. At Chelsea, you've got Raheem Sterling. And then you've got well, Thiago Silva, obviously, but outside those two, then you've got uh, oh, Mark Kukurea, I reckon he might. <laughs> There's no one there, is there? So that might be a thing they have to rectify. But then again, as a Newcastle fan who is seeing their team being bent over by these FFP rules, um, I hope they don't get to sign anybody because they've signed enough already. Yeah, as soon as I said who they're going to sign, I completely forgot about the fact that they've royally taken the piss the last few windows. So, um, Do you still have faith that Pochettino can turn it around? 
the more the season goes on, the less I do. He seems because mm. this is a guy who didn't get the best out of a front three of Czech's notes, Mbappe, Neymar, and Messi. Mm. <laughs> so maybe his time at Spurs, maybe obviously he was fantastic at Spurs and did a wonderful job getting them as close to not only the Champions League but the Premier League as he did on a couple of occasions. But ever since he left Spurs, it feels like I don't know, he's just not the same fella, is he? Oh, this this may come back to not haunt me. But I think if he fails at Chelsea and gets sacked, he is the new Andre Villas-Boas. Oh. He's got a bit more money in the bank than Andre Villas-Boas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, his, his playing career alone, but still, the fact that Andre Villas-Boas wasn't a player. But it, it does feel like that. It's just like, okay, okay, he's done well. He's done well. Oh, he's done well. Okay, right, let's throw him in. Sinks without a trace, so... It'd be interesting though, because it feel it does feel a bit like it doesn't feel like conclusively if this does go wrong at Chelsea this season, he does get sacked. He's prime Saudi Arabia fodder. But yeah. then again, I reckon someone who were at the level that Spurs were at when he took over should take a chance on him again. Maybe the top jobs are a bit too high for him. Maybe it's that, you know, couple of couple of tiers underneath the top that he needs to go to. Yeah, it's like with uh, decent players that come up from the championship and they don't quite do it in the Premier League. It's like, oh no, we know what their level is. Yeah, I think we need to have that conversation more with managers who aren't just relegation battlers like Big Sam Allardyce and, you know, Neil Warnock and all those kind. There, there is that middle ground, isn't there? That you've got, you know, your new nose are in there now. Maybe your Nigel Pearsons. <laughs> you bloody flamingo. You got your head in the sand. What are you doing? That's an ostrich, not flamingo. Different long legged long legged bird. Um but I, I was gonna say Pochettino, right, is the Johnny Evans of the managerial world. Because Johnny Evans, okay. De Kaiser, it's, I know it's a, a, a fair old silly week to use that phrase when it comes to Johnny Evans, but still, that's what he was known as in, in the uni household back in Sunderland for me. Because um, he was not good enough for Man United in his prime, but he was he was that he was that tier below. Like when he went to West Brom, mm. when he went to team, who, who else did he play for? Leicester, when he went to places like that, he looked like a very, 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 very good player, but not a player who could, you know, be starting for Man United every single week, which is another weird thing to say, considering he has played a fair bit of football this season for Man United. <laughs> well, again, it's like you say with West Brom and it used to be Norwich as well. I used to, I used to hate West Brom because they'd have a season in the Premier League, get relegated, win the championship, have a season in the Premier League, get relegated. It felt like they just needed to have one league in between with just West Brom on their own, and they could just sit there because they were too good for the championship and not good enough for the Prem. Bring back the glory days of Roberto Di Matteo. <laughs> Bring back the glory days of... I'm trying to think who was the manager. Uh, uh, what's he called? Uh, the, that, that fella? That fella who was West Brom? Steve Clark. Bring back oh, the God. glory days of Steve Clark. <laughs> yeah, but part of the Liverpool, uh, I want to say he was part of our physio team at one point or our back backroom staff, yeah. He was assistant manager, I think, for, was it? Uh, we had Sammy Lee, obviously, he was still there just to try and keep a ticket over, but um, I can't, it's too early, Ross. It's too early. It's the first podcast of the year. My brain's not working, you know me. My brain's hanging upside down. Anyway, we go to the FA Cup third round, which of course took place over the weekend there. There's only one place to start with a Newcastle fan and a Liverpool sat here, and that is at Maidstone because they were the only team this weekend to keep the magic of the cup alive. The sixth tier of the football pyramid over here in the UK, and they toppled Stevenage, who were a couple above them. Sam Corn, remember the name. 
is something about Cobbs. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, but he scored the goal from the penalty spot, but also cleared one off the line as well. Wonderful scenes after the game because I didn't realise the former Wolves brick poo house, we'll have to say, because of YouTube and that. Not. George Ellicobi, do you remember him? Oh, yeah. Left left back, but he was as wide as he was tall. He was like, <laughs> <laughs> for another, another wrestling comparison, he was like Taz, but at left back. <laughs> He's, he was uh, yeah, a bit chode-esque, wasn't he? <laughs> I wouldn't say that to him. I don't know what that laugh was either. Uh, but oh, yeah, yeah he, he'd, he'd absolutely flattened me. But still. <laughs> from somehow down below, sweet uppercut. Um, they were relegated from the National League last season, were made still, but Elikobi took, took over in January 2022. He couldn't keep them up. But this season, they're fourth in the National League South, and they've already knocked out promotion chasers Barra from League Two in the second round of the FA Cup. I've got to say Barrow like that because I went to university with a girl, Catherine, who was from Barrow, and that's how she said the word. Barrow! Oh, from mm. Barrow! Um, <laughs> but the victory against Stevenage makes them the first sixth-tier side to reach the fourth round since Kidderminster Harriers in 2021-22, and the first National League South side since Haverton Waterlooville in 07-08, and I reckon that oh. might make you have some sort of NAM flashback for a period of time mm. there. And that's uh, let's move swiftly on to some of the other great games of the weekend. Did you go one nil down at the Anfield? Was that the one? Um, I, I realise I'm asking you to remember something from 2008. <laughs> <laughs> Man who couldn't I mean, remember Pepe Reina played for Liverpool. <laughs> I remembered Pepe Reina. I forgot his name. That's all. Uh, they, they were dark days. Yeah, obviously having a Waterlooville. It was the obviously it's it's not the most egregious. Um, Lost we've had in the FA Cup ever because you think of the crazy gang, you think of Wimbledon and all you won the stuff, game. But, I think. Uh, I want to say we did. Oh, I just, I don't know. For, for, you, for won five, you won five two. You silly goose. Did we? Yeah, I think you went one nil down though. Maybe. Oh, maybe. Two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Richard Paquette's header put Haven't in the head before Lucas Lever, or as BBC put it back in 2008, Lever Lucas equalised for Liverpool was a superb 25-yard curler. Alfie Potter restored the part-timers' lead with a deflected effort, but Yossi Benayou made it Desmond from 15 yards out. Benayoun drove in just after the break and stroked home from a rebound to complete his hat-trick before Crouchy tapped in to make it 5-2. So he went down, he went behind twice at home to mm. Haven't Waterlooville, but he won the game, so who cares? So, well, yeah, it was the latter years of Rafa. I mean, Yossi Benayoum was one of those underrated players that, um, like you said, fine for Liverpool, fine for Chelsea, won the lot pretty much everywhere he went. But it's, it's, you don't think of those prime Liverpools, you don't think of Yossi Benayoum, you don't think of Lucas scoring at all because you think about when he reinvented himself as a DM. But uh, yeah, I'd com- I completely erase that game from my memory, but that's back in there now, Ross. So thank you very much. Fair play for, for thinking that Liverpool got beat at home by a team from the National League South. All I'm saying is those late 2000s years, we were, you didn't know who was going to show up half the time. It was, yeah. But I tell you, I tell you who does show up. Liverpool, the Emirates, eh, Ross? Yeah. Eh? I should say before we move on to them Reds, uh, it has been a crap third round <laughs> the FA Cup, as we said there. So fair play to Maidstone for keeping the magic of the cup alive. We go back to a couple of years ago. Newcastle were on the receiving end of a home defeat to Cambridge 
Um, with a Newcastle fan, or an Alan Shearer fan at least, scoring the goal. I think he was a Geordie, I can't remember now, but he scored the goal. They told us over there. But there was nothing else in the third round this year in terms of upsets. There was a little one, you know, I think Wrexham beat someone who was a bit higher than them in the pyramid, but that's not really an upset, is it, with the money they have compared yeah. to everybody else. Um, as for Maidstone, they've got a hard tie in the fourth round. They've got Ipswich Town away, who are flying high in the championship. Yeah, it's uh, obviously the next round should be a lot more... Uh... I was going to say a lot more exciting, but it's just more of the fact that you've got more of the big guns going against each other in the Premier League. So hopefully a few more big names drop um, and, you know, hopefully Liverpool can march on towards glory, Ross. That's yeah. all I care about today. That's all I care about. It's crap what though, Nick, because it feels like the gap between the Premier League and the rest has just been displayed as being as big as, like, bigger than ever because yeah. barring a couple of replays like Wolves and Brentford and West Ham and Bristol City... Oh, the Bristol cities. Um, that's Cockney Rhyme and Slam for boobies. Um, apart from those two, everyone's through. So it just shows that maybe the the, the Football League are falling even further behind than they already were. I, I'm, I'm just going to start using Bristols again when referring to uh, um, a, a pair of breasts. Fantastic. Forgot about that. When you go down the butchers. Oh, I'll have a pair of those Bristol cities, please. Chicken breasts, I don't know what I'm doing. Liverpool won 2 0, didn't the Jack Atkins? Save me, save me from drowning. <laughs> oh, we are both having an absolute ripper over here today, Ross. Um, yeah, it's 2 0. What can I say? We we were Arsenal were very much on the front foot for, I'd say, the first third of the game, but it's it, a surprise to no one. Arsenal can't finish the dinner, they need someone up front who could put it consistently in the back of the net. Um, missed a couple of chances, drew a few, a couple of saves out of Allison. hit the bar once or twice as well. Um, and then eventually we grew into the game, some really good defensive work of like Ibrahim Kanate again, was a beast. Joe Gomez has been really good. Um, highlight for me was young substitute Connor Bradley coming on with about 10 minutes to go and absolutely not showing any fear at all. It was it was good. It was a weird one going into it because obviously, you know, on today, January 10th, tonight we've got the first um, Carabao Cup semi-final against Fulham. You know, we've we've got through to the next round of the Europa League. We're currently doing well in the Premier League as well. So some fans, you don't want to lose any game. You don't want to go out of any cup. But we're just like, if we lose this one to a good Arsenal side, it's not the end of the world. But then we beat them and it was fantastic, especially seeing, and this is going to be me being a bit of a prick now. Some of the fume from the Arsenal fans saying this is the worst Liverpool side they've seen in ages. We're the all-conquering, almighty Arsenal, blah, 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 blah. Sit down, okay? You bottled the league in a season when City were crap. Let's, <laughs> don't compare yourselves to Jürgen Klopp's mustard reds who have won everything and are currently top of the league. We did this without... Um, Wataro Endo, who's become our best player, we did it with without our um, no Andy Robertson, no Virgil Van Dyke, no Mohamed Salah, who's our top scorer and I think top assister as well. Uh, and even then, it, even if you call this a second string squad, you've still got like a resurgent Curtis Jones in there. You've got uh, a World Cup winner Alexis McAllister coming back from injury. You've got uh, who else was in there? Uh, Diogo Jota, your favourite player at the moment. Um, oh, he should be suspended from the beautiful game. He brought the game into disrepute when it didn't even matter, but that's besides the point. I mean, Dubravka has admitted it was a penalty, but I'm with you, it was very soft. But still, 
I, I think people you can't just, take three strides. I don't care if he touched them. You can't take three strides and then go down. It's disgusting. But he's Diego Jota. He always scores. Why would he go down unless he was absolutely knocked off balance for us? Because he kicked it too hard. It was going out of play. The angle was too acute. Yeah, I do. I, I do think he went down like a soccer squad. I'm not going to lie to you on that one. But um, yeah, through to the next round of the cup, uh, and it was one of those that after the final whistle, it was like. Okay, yeah, I'm very glad we've won that now. Very glad we're through to the next round. And uh, a kinder draw to us than many other Premier League teams. Yeah, you've either got Norwich or Bristol Rovers at home Mm. in the fourth round, which you should get through, you would think. But there was some bad news to spoil the evening. Trent's injury news coming out after the game. I don't know if it happened during the game or something Mm. or just on the bus when he banged his knee off the bins. That always happens, doesn't it, on the National Express? Banging knee off the bins, they sort of overhang the aisle aisle way. It's disgraceful. Put them in a different place. Um, So he's out for a few weeks, is the quote from Jurgen Klopp. Are you a seasoned National Express user, are you, Ross? Not so much these days, but when I was back at uni, that's how I got to, like, for example, a London away day with Newcastle. I'd get the night mm. one, like, leave Newcastle at, like, 11, get to Victoria in... What's it? Vic, which Victoria is it? Yeah. Whatever. Victoria in London, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, well, that station at, like, half seven in the morning, straight to Spoons, beer and a... Beer and a well, not beer. You had to wait until, like, nine, didn't you, for a beer? But, yeah, just to bake the sandwich, and then off you go. See you later. Horrible times. But you know that's what you got to do when you're a student. <laughs> we've we've just uh, booked a holiday yesterday because some of my mates are turning forty, so we're going to Berlin for a couple of days and then getting uh, a six-hour train to Amsterdam at ten in the morning. So that's going to be that's going to be good. Not for me. No, I'm probably going to be doing. <laughs> I'm going to be doing Cruyff turns in the street. That's what I'm going to be doing. I should say for, for audio listeners, I might have just done a little uh, mime there for smoking the weed every day. Yes, because uh, Ross is just like Snoop and Nate Dog and Dr. Dre himself. That's what they call me, Dr. Twe. Um, but yeah, Arsenal, back to them. They need a centre forward. They've wasted a hell yeah. of a lot of money on Kai Havertz. Multiple times in that first half, especially as well. He dilly-dallied on the ball when mm. he was in on goal and just had to pull the proverbial trigger. What is he? What is Kai Havertz? I'm still sitting here. He's been in England now for three, four years at this point. He scored the, mm. the, that goal in the Champions League final. So it's been three or four years now, and I still don't know what he is. He's a lovely, lanky frame. Conducive to a centre-half, I would say, but he's definitely not one of those. He's not a striker. Is he? Is he a 10? I, I would know. say, yeah, I, I could see him play more in the 10. I've I've been a Kai Havertz apologist in, in the past. There's something about him I like, even if he's not producing anything at the moment. There's still something inside me that says, no, 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 that there's there's a player in there. And I think, like you said, if you get him as a number 10, say if, if Arsenal do bring in, as they've been linked with, Ivan Tony, maybe like that. If you've got someone for him to play, like to, not quite the number 10, more of like a, maybe a false nine, that kind of Firmino role. I don't think he's as technically gifted as Bobby Firmino, but if you let him be kind of more of a facilitator and let the lads up top get the numbers, there could be value in him, yeah. But again, that's a lot of ifs, ands, buts and maybes. Yeah, he's, he's a confusing footballer. But we've got to mention the celebration as well after the first goal. It was the first one, was it? Or was it the second one? I can't remember. I, I, I think it was second. Was yeah. It? Um, the winner? Yeah, oh, brilliant. Lovely. <laughs> yeah, Canate and Darwin. Darwin obviously meant to pat his teammate on the head, but of course he missed and got the fan who jumped in with the players. Ha, 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 lol. He's another guy who can't finish his dinner more times than not. It's we- He's a weird one as well. What? What? Fantastic until he comes to kicking the football. <laughs> it's it, If you give him more than half a second to think about it, he doesn't know what to do. <laughs> but again, yeah, it's he's... 
an odd player, but he's still because the amount of chaos he causes for defenders, and he still gets a couple of assists, even though he's not he's not going for a purple patch like of scoring. You can't justify fully dropping him, but you can't justify starting him. He's West Brom. He's West Brom as a player. <laughs> he's he's in that kind of like that grey area, but I love him. He's just a Labrador. He's a Labrador in human form. Some of the some of the um, Liverpool fans are starting to lose a bit of patience with him, and with those again, those rumours of Kylian Mbappe, who's never coming to Liverpool. <laughs> those rumours coming about again. Some people are like, oh, do we cash in? No. He loves the club, doesn't he? Killian, he loves the club. The thing with mm. Darwin, though, he's he looks like a nine. He plays, I know he plays across the front three, but sometimes he lines up where a nine would play. He wears mm. the number nine. He looks like a nine. I think I said that already. Just take the number nine off him, and then think people will give him a lot more, a lot more, you know, slack. It, it was the end of the match. I think we put, um, we moved Diaz over to the right and I think we had Darwin on the left and Jota in the middle and it looked fantastic. So I don't know if that's something we try again tonight against Fulham or something we try when the league resumes. But yeah, I, how do you solve a problem like Maria Ross? I don't know. Take the number nine well, off her. Give her number 14 or something instead. That's what I would do. It's all, it's all, going back to Arsenal though. Oh, you've saying about the celebration. Ibrahim Kanate grabbing that lad's hat and just going, hey, <laughs> flinging it into the crowd. <laughs> that did the rounds in the group chats, I'll tell you that. But yeah. um, for Arsenal, Saka is going, we've talked about Jota before, Saka is going down too easy at any touch now. Obviously, there was the big play in the media about giving him some more protection. And I think, as you would if it was your own player, if it was your own team, you'd start trying to take the the Michael a little bit. Um, he was getting on me wick. And... Um, Martin Odegaard as well, trying to give it the bifters, trying to get all angry, doing nothing and inadvertently riling up Liverpool. Fantastic. Do that every week, so Superb. <laughs> God, Liverpool are so humble, aren't they, when they win? Sunderland nil, Newcastle three. <laughs> what are the greatest results? No, it's not. Um, I, I was going to say, t- talking about humble. I think, go on, Ross. I think Sunderland should need some humble pie because they were giving it the big and before the game. Thinking, oh, we got Joe, we got Joe Bellingham, we've got Jack Clark. You're going to be getting trippier on his arse all the time. They didn't turn up. ITV dedicated a full 10 minutes to Joe Bellingham, and I don't think he was on the pitch. Jack Clark, Sunderland should have played him, then they might have done a bit better. He was on the pitch. Mm. He did nothing. People are saying they were, oh, they're definitely Premier. They're definitely Premier League. Ways, Kays, are these Kays? They're definitely Premier League. Not a chance. Joe, I know Job's a young lad, but that Jack mm. Clark, just off that showing, you want to see something, but he did absolutely nothing. But yes, the immaculate hospitality, which I'll mention later in the podcast in a certain segment. I guess you can work out which one it is if you've listened to one of these before. But I didn't expect this wonderful hospitality that Sunderland put on for not only Newcastle fans to extend to the team on the pitch because Sunderland as a team I've singled out the two big players they've got uh, but they were absolutely wank from minute one to minute 90 it's really funny in hindsight to watch the game because all Newcastle had to do it was like Sunderland hadn't watched a single game Newcastle's played over the last season and a half because Newcastle reverted back to the thing that got them fourth last season flooding that right hand side first and foremost with Trippier and Almiron just taking the piss out the left back that's what they did all last season this season teams have worked it out a bit more and on top of the injuries and the tiredness and all that sort of stuff but by and large teams have worked out that was the main sort of output last season so they've, uh, they've doubled up on Newcastle in certain games 
games down that right-hand side for Newcastle, left-hand side for the opposition. Sunderland didn't do that. And then Newcastle worked out that Sunderland's right-back was their worst player on the pitch. So we just targeted him for the, the last three quarters of the game and got fantastic success. It was weird. Michael Beale was on about... Oh, there's... He speaks like AI, that guy. He would do my nutting if he was my man. He doesn't take a breath. He was saying, <laughs> oh, there was a massive golf in class. Oh, I can't believe how good Newcastle were compared to our very young side. But our very young side are going to have to learn what they... Why is he taught like that? He's not. He's a robot. But he's a terrible manager as well. I've worked it out because the biggest golfing class was him just not realising what Newcastle have done for the past year and a half and doing something about it. Trying to play out from the back as well. That obviously cost Sunderland the second goal as well. They were set up incorrectly and they just didn't turn up on the day and it was a walk in the stadium of you-know-what for Newcastle. Rhymes with light, but it's not light. Begins with an S. Uh, I, I, think, uh, I think Sunderland were trying to... I think they were trying to play the occasion, but ended up on the other side of it because they did just look, not terrified, but they looked clueless. And like you said, part of that is them setting up uh, incorrectly. Going back to you saying about flooding that right side and with Miggy getting right in the action, do you think this could be a springboard to get him some more confidence? Because yeah. I know he's... <laughs> No, you think he's done? You think he's done? <laughs> he was fantastic. It was, again, it was a performance from him that was more about the press and his work mm. off the ball that sort of led to... Uh, stuff happening with you know, possession getting turned over and stuff like he's he's always unbelievable at that. Like you'll never ever stop running. It's just when he it's it's been too much when he comes to kicking the football. It's just he, he's gone back to what he was for the first two and a half three years of his time at Newcastle. <laughs> then he had that spell. Then he got his new contract. Then he went back to what he was before that spell. Um, so I just if we've got a cashing on someone to get FFP sort of balanced a bit more. I'm picking him every single day of the week because he's, he's, it's been too much of one side of Mickey compared to the good side of Mickey for me to believe the good side of Mickey can come back more regularly, if that makes any sense. But again, yeah, yeah. in this game here, that was what he's best at. It is the, Eddie likes, you know, the, the big press and all that sort of stuff on the front foot, closing players down and whatnot. He's the best at that because he, he, he's a, he, he's a, he's a freak. He doesn't stop running. He's got a, mm. he's got a, a body like a, a Duracell battery that never runs out. Talking of uh, recharging batteries, how is your squad looking now? Uh, anyone, any major ones come back yet? Callum Wilson's out again. so Oh, God, of course he is. It's a shame, but I think we need to make a decision on him in the summer as mm. well. I think it's it's he misses too much football to be worth worthy of a place in the squad. Or at least being you know, one of the first two strikers, if you want, with him and Isaac. Yeah. He misses too much football to be one of them. If he's third choice and get, you know, come on for the final 10 minutes when we need a goal, fair enough. I think you could f- hopefully fulfil that role without getting too injured, but it's, it's happening. I think it's happened twice already this season now that he's missed a spell of games. So that's a shame. But in terms, they're all long-term. So we'll just, the players who are there now, Dan Byrne was saying, I think it was on Ben Foster's podcast. I can't remember when I watched him, but he was saying like they didn't get to train when the Champions League was on. He's like, this is a thing that we haven't realised as like footballers who haven't played in European competitions for a while is the lack of training you get in between the games. So it's been nice for the past couple of weeks to actually have like training sessions and try and mm. set up with game plans and whatnot before, like, rather than just Eddie Howe going, right, here's what we're doing today. All the best. <laughs> 
I made you all some jam butties. You go, you go have fun. <laughs> but I was it because I was I was absolutely dreading the game. I was saying to Dad, if we're wearing that green kit, uh, that second kit we've got, I was fully expecting Sunderland to win. But I just I didn't see Sunderland being as bad as they were. And was that down to Newcastle playing very well? Maybe because we did control the ball very well indeed. But I think it was more on them just not not playing very well at all, which was a shame because. I mean, it, there was plenty of bite in it. That was the, the, but that was the one good thing about the game was the bite in the game. And I guess the secondary thing was VAR not being a thing. How yeah. good was it to see football without VAR once again? Just know that when the referee gives a decision, that's the decision. Deal with it. It's part of the game. It's not going to go your way all the whole time. It's fine. <laughs> I mean, don't don't tell that to Dominic Calvert Lewin. But apart from that, yeah, that was a bad one. Well, that, that was VAR, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. that, I mean, that was VAR, wasn't it? <laughs> I don't know. All the days have blended into one recently. Yeah, Jeff, but there's that footage of James Tarkowski and was it Dwight McNeil stood next to him going like, oh, piss off, that's not a red code. Mm. Oh, give us a go in your Bristol cities. I don't know why I said James Tarkowski's from the south. He's from the north. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a shame to see Sunderland poo the bed as much as they did. Mm. I'll take it as a Newcastle fan. Uh, comments were made about Luku Nine's tackle on uh, 17-year-old Lewis Miley. I think that's a load of bollocks. If I was a, a Sunderland fan watching my team get dicked on 2-0 at home, I'd take my centre-half laying it a thick one on a, a... No matter how old they are, they're on the pitch, they're old enough to play. The, the, I don't understand why you have to check a player's age now before tackling them for some reason in the Newcastle fan base. But uh, it's, it's never stopped us before when we've gone two-footed into ten-year-olds, is it? Yeah, just walking down the street, <laughs> take them out. It's fantastic. But that was the thing I was going to say. There was plenty of bite in the game. Tackles were flying in. The referee was letting the majority of it go. It was wonderful mm. to see. No VAR. Absolutely fantastic. The game needs to get rid of it. That was proof of it, if anything, over the course of the third round of the FA Cup this weekend. Um, but yeah, well, just I'm I'm happy. That, well. I mean, we'll talk about the lead, lead up of the game later in the podcast, but I'm happy with how it went. I was really, yes. really dreading it, so we'll take it. We'll take it and we'll move on. Uh, Patrick Bamford, got to shout out him for the goal of the round, maybe the goal of the season. Dreba Kasami, who played for Fulham. <laughs> of course yes. you don't. About yes. 10 years ago now, he scored yes. this goal at Crystal no, Palace. No, no, yes, I remember it. I remember the one. Very reminiscent of that, wasn't it? Where he takes the ball yeah. on the chest on his Bristol says on the move and then on the turn, shoots it into the far corner. It was one. That's, that's the only thing, the only time I'd ever heard of Kazami. It was, but it was one of those that when it happened, everyone just went, Oh, have you seen that Kazami? I was like, Who the pissing hell is he? Didn't they Beautiful. make the Prevo games, Kazami? <laughs> it was Konami, but I've made Konami, a joke there about yeah, Kazami. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but Patrick uh, Patrick Bamford, yeah, I was going to come on to this later, and, uh, but we'll we'll talk about it now, and I'll just give it another different uh, differential tip of the cap to it later. Um, beautiful, beautiful, absolutely beautiful. I've got some friends who are Leeds fans as well, and obviously they were going on about it like it was the second coming of Tony Yeboah, but it wasn't quite. <laughs> oh, it was close. I mean, it's a different kind of goal, isn't it? Hasn't yeah. got the raw sort of what's the word I'm looking for. Thunder, bast- thunder, bastard- yeah. thunder bastardry. <laughs> the art of thunder bastardry. I didn't have that about it, but it was art was wonderful. Um, but the yeah. best thing about it was, I don't know why, but at Peterborough United for some reason, you know, Big John who orders the Chinese food on the on the on the on the Instagrams and TikToks and that. No. I'll have a chicken chow mein. He always says it like that for some reason. He just orders these massive. In fact, I'll get an order for you now. Just so I can play it on the podcast because it's unbelievable. I'll just type it on YouTube. Big John, Chinese. Is he a Peter Profano or is it just some fellow who orders food? 
I, I, he must be a Peterborough fan because in the crowd, you know, they have the sort of things that separate, like segregate the crowd to put over the seats. There was one hmm. of them, but it was Big John because his catchphrase is Bosh. Le Bosh. He just puts his Chinese order in and says Bosh. <laughs> they changed it to Posh because obviously Peterborough is called Posh. Um, yeah. So we'll go and try and find Big John's Chinese order. There, Big John has a mega Chinese and a pint that's a minute long. Right, Big John unbox. <laughs> no, where's Big John? I want Big. There he is. He's on the phone. Big John makes a Chinese order. You ready? Yeah. Back from holiday, got order Chinese. Just a second, got back from the airport. Yes, like I'll place an order for delivery, please. What you like? Right, could I have a special charming, a special house charming, a charming. plain charming, a house special fried rice, an egg fried rice, sweet and sour chicken balls, sweet and sour pork balls, shredded chili beef, sweet and sour chicken Hong Kong style, uh, beef in black bean sauce, uh, could I have kung po prawns, salt and chili king prawns, salt and chili chicken, uh, could I have a portion of chips, mini pancake rolls, roast duck Chinese style, chips, yeah. pr- prawn crackers, Thank you very much. And a curry sauce. And a curry sauce. Yeah. Bosh. What type of would you like? Uh, Diet Coke, please. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Lovely. Thank you very much. And delivery will take around 50 minutes to an hour. 50 minutes to an hour. That's perfect. Thank you. Holiday. Bosh. Bosh. So there he is. It's always a wonderful thing when you get a massive Chinese all like that, but then get a Diet Coke on the side just because you want to watch your, watch your weight. <laughs> oh, that's, it goes against my one rule, which is if you're eating Chinese food or Mexican food, it's got to be a full fat Coke. <laughs> that nice little, a little, nice little syrupy edge. You might go the, might as well go the full way, mightn't you? But yeah, that was Big John. He had a, for some reason had one of those things in the crowd. I guess he's a Peterborough fan. He sounds like he would be because he's yeah. from that part of the world. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we easily segued from a Paddy Bamford scoring world that you said to some fellow with an absolutely outrageous Chinese order. <laughs> They're regularly over 100 quid. I mean, he orders for like, you know, five, six people at a time, but still. Hmm. Incredible. Anyway, back to the FA Cup on this football <laughs> podcast. The fourth round draw took place. We've heard what Newcastle got. Well, Newcastle got Fulham away, which mm-hmm. is a boring tie. But this season, where we've had PSG, Milan, Dortmund in the Champions League, then Man City, Man United and Chelsea in the Carabao Cup, I'll take it. The voodoo's been yeah. lifted. We've got a relatively, I don't want to say easy, but an easier tie in a cup, which is nice to see. Liverpool have got Norwich or Bristol Rovers at home. Other notable ties in the fourth round. Blackburn take on Wrexham at Ewood Park. It's only notable because Wrexham are arseholes. They're not the underdogs. They're disgusting. Uh, West Brom will take on Brentford or Wolves, which Tom Campbell and our office were getting excited about. In the office, he was like, oh, it's a Black Country derby going to happen. I was just like, hold your horses, Tom. They might get beaten in the replay. And he didn't quite understand what that meant. But he's not a man of the game, so fair play to Tom for even no, doing yeah. that in the first place. I know his, his dad and his brother are big West Brom fans, but yeah. uh, he's... He, he he went down the road of Sark the Hedgehog and wrestling instead. <laughs> uh, Chelsea versus Aston Villa. Tottenham Hotspurs mm. versus, well, just a singular Hotspur. We'll take on Manchester City in the game mm-hmm. that will be picked for TV, even though it shouldn't be. What were the, the TV picks this year? Why weren't Maidstone on the telly? That really pissed me off. It's, yeah, it's, again, like you said, it, it, it kind of took away the, the magic of the cup, just watching, because BBC especially don't really get much in the way of live football anymore. I think they just wanted to seize the opportunity and just get the big guns, didn't they? Everton versus Palace. Come yeah. on, Maidstone was there. Anyway, they will... Play, well, sorry, they've they've got... Who have they got? Ipswich away, that's what they had. Uh, and the mm. other notable tie in the round was Newport County or Eastleigh will take on Man United, which hopefully will be on the telly and hopefully Man United get turned over. Come yeah, on! Yeah. 
man. Get some money for either my boys in Newport or my boys in Eastleigh. Let's go. He's got boys everywhere. Other football headlines <laughs> from the past seven days. Tottenham have confirmed the sign of Timo Werner from RB Leipzig on an initial note until the end of the season. There's an optional purchase clause in this deal, which is reported to be worth around 13 to £17 million, pounds, which for him... It's going to go one of two ways, isn't it? Because when he was at Chelsea, when he was at Leipzig the first time, one of the you know the, the names in Incredible. Europe, wasn't it? Unbelievable! Incredible! Yeah, yeah comes yeah. to Chelsea, all action player. I mean, I guess there's a comparison to be made with Darwin Nunes, I guess, because he mm. all action making things happen. But when it came to sticking the ball in the back of the net, he couldn't finish his dinner. So I guess it's sort of similar but different to what Darwin Nunes is currently for Liverpool. Yeah, and even like uh, we've got here in the notes, 23 goals, 21 assists in 89 games. That's not bad. But, but it's, it's... he was getting compared to like Lewandowski, for example, as a, yeah, fin- as a finisher yeah. before he came over here. So it is pretty poor if you put it in those terms. But it's not bad at all. Um, no. But the way that Tottenham play with the sort of the, the more fluid front three, um, mm-hmm. I guess Richarlison's guess is, is, is the focal point of that front three. But him and Son, I've seen switch quite a bit. I guess it could work. I guess it could work. And and even if it works all right, a, you know, a, an optional purchase, if they get him for 13 million, that's nothing. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd take him for 13 million, just be like, oh, you could just play the cup games, sound, whatever. Yeah, another good name on the squad list. Because over the last year and a half, he scored 18 goals in 54 club games, but has missed, uh, lost his place, I should say, to Lois Appenda who is mm. Luton Town FC's talisman on my EAFC 2-4 career mode. A wonderful signing that I made for somewhere in the region of 75 to £85 million pounds at Akram Afif Lane. Not Kenilworth Road, <laughs> Akram Afif Lane. Legend of the game. Drop in the ocean there, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah but it's, it's, I think it's a sign that's going to go one or two ways. He's going to be banging them in and then he'll sign and then not score another goal or he'll not score another goal and he won't get signed. It's going to be one of those, I think. <laughs> Yeah, he, he, I was going to say he's he's too old to be a potential future. What happened to that Wunderkind, isn't he? But um, if it goes that way, but it's worth the punt. Anything's worth a punt, especially considering how much. I wouldn't even say that Tottenham have dropped off as such. I think they just overachieved at the first stage of the season. So if he can come, even if he, you know, only gets a couple of goals, that could be some vital points there. So yeah. And I guess it's, you could, it's, something we yeah. said about Ange getting the best out of his players as well. If he's, if there's one manager who's going to make a tick just based off what we've seen so far this season, Ange is going to be up there with the best around. I honestly think for Tottenham, this is a this is a, a win-win situation for him because, like you said, it's loan. It's it's not it's not anything um, binding. You say it's just an op, it's it's not an obligation to buy. It's just optional. Yeah, optional purchase clause of thirteen. So if he flops, flog him. And if he's dynamite, 13 to 17 million quid is nothing. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. More Chelsea. Well, I say more Chelsea news. Uh, I guess Timo Werner was a former Chelsea player. So, yes, that's a segue. Yeah. Uh, Chelsea understood to agree to loan deal with Borussia Dortmund to send their Dutch defender Ian Matson on loan to Germany until the end of the season. This is interesting, something I missed in the summer. Chelsea accepted a bid from Burnley in the region of £31.5 million for Ian Matson, but the 21-year-old turned them down. 
but has since only managed 400 minutes across all competitions this season. I remember Ian Matson from Coventry City a couple of years ago, so I was shocked to see 31.5 million put on his name there, but I guess he was on loan at Burnley last season, and they were mm. quite good in the championship with their free-flowing football. That's got them in trouble this year uh, in the Premier League, but uh, yeah, he's, he's set to go on loan to Dortmund for the next six months before going back to Chelsea, because Fabrizio Romano has noted that Matson has agreed a new two-year extension with Chelsea that will take his contract to 2026 which sounds like it should be six years in the future but it's actually only three three years in the future 2027 which is terrifying um, apparently the new deal will also oh. include a release clause to facilitate a future transfer so they've got no hope in them but they're going to cash in on them <laughs> yeah as, as soon as you said um yeah a new extension i was like yeah they're just protecting their investment there i Best of luck to the lad. Who knows? He might go on to be a world beater at, at Dortmund. But it's a hell of a move, though, to go from essentially Burnley in the Championship to Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League. It's unbelievable. Oh God, I yeah. I mean, like you said as well, less than four hundred minutes as well. If he goes straight into that side, I think that says more about Dortmund than it does Ian Matson. I'm trying to remember who their left back even was when we played them. I just remember that tall, rangy right back called Wolf. Oh, he was a dreamboat, Jackins. Let me tell you. <laughs> The stride on that man was incredible. Uh, but yeah, Dortmund finished top of their Champions League group. But I said they want their, their Champions League group. They won Newcastle in as well. They got 11 points from their six games. Turned Newcastle over, home and away. They don't even need Matson as far as I'm concerned off what I saw, but they've got them anyway. More Dortmund news they are. Well, their CEO, Hans Joachim Vatske. I'm going to assume that's how that's pronounced. Uh, it's confirmed that negotiations are underway with Manchester United for the loan signing of Jaden Sancho. Um, there is going to be no buy clause in the deal, reportedly, from a newspaper I don't want to name. Their name rhymes with bum. <laughs> Um, uh, but that's where I got the news story from and that's the only place it was reported so it's probably bollocks but still I thought it was worth mentioning all the same um, it's been strange how this situation between Eric Ten Hag and Jaden Sancho has not been rectified apparently all it was going to take was Jaden Sancho saying sorry boss I got things a bit wrong earlier in the season I do apologise but he didn't do it <laughs> he sounds just like Jonathan Ross as well <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and this news about you know the, the loan move to Dortmund. This has been, I want to say, rumbling on 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 the uh, on the back pages for it feels like all the way over Christmas, all the way back to the beginning of December. It's it's to the surprise of no one. Again, if he can just get his, from what reports have said, if Sancho can get his head out of his ass and just enjoy his football again, then I, th- I think it'll be a good lift for all parties involved. But like you said, if if it is a case of him. Obviously, the reports we're hearing could be just coming from Ten Hag's camp. But if it was just a case of him just saying, I'm sorry, then he needs to grow up a bit, doesn't he? He does. Because I was sitting there looking at that, Jaden Sancho thinking, loan deal, Newcastle, FFP, get around that for a loan. I was like, it's worth a go. Miggy Almiron's been absolutely wank this season. Um, mm. It's worth getting him in to directly replace Miggy Almiron. How much has the wage had an effect on his... Because you're saying that... Well, we're saying that the reporters were saying back in the day... Well, I say back in the day, a couple of months ago, that all he had to do was say sorry. But his form before that wasn't exactly worthy of Eric Ten Hag going, please come back. You've been mm. so good for that. Because he hasn't been good as, as long as he's been over here in England since signing from Borussia Dortmund. We, obviously, all of us thought, I think, that that was one of the miss, missing pieces found when he signed for yeah. 75-odd million pounds because he was unbelievable for Borussia Dortmund in that first stint over in Germany. So if you can regain that form, I mean, oh, I don't even know what to say. 
It doesn't it doesn't feel likely though, but I thought as a Newcastle fan, it was worth a go just to see if you could get that back out of him. Especially yeah, like you said, when you're seeing all these low moves, um, like you said, Timo Werner as well. Is that going to be new? I know that we're talking about Sancho, but is that going to be Newcastle's aim? Do you think in January try and box off as many decent loans as you can? Calvin Phillips apparently is the first one. It's still rumbling on. Ten days into the window, I thought that would have been done by now, but apparently there's a seven and a half million pound loan fee. What's what's the point of a loan then if you're paying seven and a half million quid? Oh god, like City need the money. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Sancho, <laughs> best of luck to him when this event, when this eventually, if it gets over the line, like we're saying, they've confirmed negotiations are underway, but it feels like this has been a story for about five weeks now. Yeah, hopefully he gets his on-field career back on track because he was a fantastic player and I, I miss him in the England squad when he was good. Up the Sancho. Um, more Manchester United-related news because they're legend. Paul Scholes has had a go at Jesse Lingard with an X-rated post on social media, Jackins. It's massive news this week. Lingard, who was 31 years old, now has been a free agent since he was released by Nottingham Forest at the end of last season, shared a picture on the gram where he's in the gym doing like, I think they call it a pull-up maybe. I'm not, I'm, I'm not too sure. I've never, never, never done it. Uh, but Man United, Scholes was in the, in the, in the, as they said, in the chat there, in the comments saying... Are you just going to F about in the gym or are you going to actually play football? Which I really admire. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, because I've, I've had different thoughts about J-Lings over the years, but was it, um, was it West Ham he turned down an approach from a season or two ago? We had the loan spell during lockdown where he was unreal. He couldn't stop scoring. Yes. Then he went back to Man United, didn't play. Then he had the chance to go back to West Ham, didn't go there, and instead went to, because he was on a free at this point, he went to Nottingham Forest, yeah. didn't he, for the money? Yeah, because I remember when he did that, um, and I'm just thinking, you tit, what are you doing? And I kind of like lost, not that I had faith in him, but I was just like, ah, oh, you're just a bit of a, yeah. bit of an arse, aren't you? But like, like, uh, like Skull says there, I don't know if that's him having a tirade, or if that's just him just being, just very old, I'm like, yes, oh, you just got to F about, oh, you got to have to play football, oh. Well, I reckon Lingard was might have been touching the first team squad when Skulls was still there, because that's one of the great mysteries of football, how Jesse Lingard's always considered this young player, but he's actually now 31. <laughs> he, he's only a couple of years younger than me, but isn't everyone, Ross? <laughs> yeah, I'm 31 as well. We are all a couple of years younger than you. Um, but moving on now to who I think may, might be might be a twat of the week contender. Mm. Jordan Henderson is considering leaving Saudi Arabia after only six months. Uh, obviously, since he joined al Etty, you know what? Otherwise, we'll get demonetized from Liverpool in the summer there. The Daily Mail, which is a... Yeah, it's, I'm going around all the, the highbrow ones today, uh, report that Henderson is desperate for a return to the Premier League while he would be willing to take a huge pay cut and potentially pay a tax bill of, of around £7 million in order to secure a move to the transfer window. This waste has been reported or banded about of £700,000 a week. is only tax-free if he stays in Saudi Arabia for at least two years, apparently, which I would do. I would. I would gladly do. Yeah, I would just sit. I've I've made me bed. I'll lie in it and I'll sweat until the day ends. Uh, apparently, Henderson is said to be finding it hard to adapt to life in Saudi Arabia, while the high temperatures and suffocating humidity are also contributing factors to his unhappiness. Now, if I was planning a trip to Saudi Arabia, I would be shocked. I just. Could you imagine it being hot in Saudi Arabia? Could you imagine it being quite humid in Saudi Arabia? I mean, 
I've I've mentioned to you before that I used to live in Canada and consider my surprise when I was stood there in a Hawaiian shirt in the middle of December and it was minus 25, Ross. I mean, he couldn't see it coming, could you? It's never happened before. Couldn't see it. Yeah. Didn't know. No, yeah, it, it, you know, it, it sideswiped me. Um, yeah, come on. I mean, he said, humidity and high temperatures while you're playing, fair enough. But if you're getting paid 700 grand a week, surely in your personal day-to-day life, you can... Sort something to make your life a bit more comfortable. Yeah, big time. And it's not as if the the, the league he's playing is going to be, you know, the pace of the Premier League. I'm, I'm not going to say it's not going to be difficult to play in that sort of heat, but compared to what he's been used to for the, the how long his career has been now, 15 years? Mm-hmm. That's back to 2008? Oh, my God, 15 years. 16 <laughs> years. 16 years since 2008 now. Oh, my God. Uh, but he's been used to a certain bra- a type of football, a certain speed of football for all that time. And there's not a chance in hell the Saudi League's anywhere close to that. No, no. And like you were saying as well about the uh, the conditions over there, he's a boy from Sunderland who spent the majority of his uh, playing career in Merseyside, and we have terrible weather. So imagine him over there just being like, oh, I hope it rains today. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds just like that, uh, but apparently the the, the plane, the attendances, I should say, that they're getting over in Al Eti, you know what? Uh, they're averaging only seven and a half, well, seven thousand eight hundred fans, despite playing a thirty-five thousand seat stadium, which apparently is another thing that's uh, that's uh, played a factor in his decision to want to come back to the Premier League, which is a shock to me because it was that one a few weeks ago, a few months ago, however long it was. Uh, the, it was like nine hundred was there, so see, it's an average of seven thousand eight hundred. It's booming. Business is booming in Saudi Arabia. Does that average, though, also take in like the first like two games of the season where there would have been loads of people coming out? Yeah, probably. Yeah. So. Uh, but it doesn't end there for, for Jordan Henderson because manager Steven Gerrard is coming under scrutiny with Al Eti, you know what, eighth in the Saudi Pro League standing, while his assistant manager, Ian Foster, who helped to convince Henderson to make the move to the Middle East, has left to take the manager's job at Plymouth. <laughs> so far this season, Henderson, who is 33 years of age now, has made 19 appearances, getting five assists. Ajax are the most concrete link we've seen so far in terms of his name coming back to Europe. I thought the big narrative was that he was done in the Premier League when he was at Liverpool last season. Like His legs had gone, he wasn't the player he once was. That's why Klopp wanted to move him on. Wanted to move him on. I think the... Again, the stories that came out, because obviously Jordan Henderson himself had some disastrous interviews, most notably with The Athletic talking about his future, didn't want to... I think in Henderson's mind, the the ego that comes with all top-level footballers, in his mind, he was like, I should still be starting week in, week out for one of any of the big teams in Europe, really, when, like you said, his legs had pretty much gone, he wasn't consistent, he was... His football had become a bit negative at times as well. Um, like you're saying there, Ajax the most concrete link so far. I think that would be a decent move for him. I also heard rumours about going to Newcastle, just in case he wanted to completely piss away his reputation. Um, he's made his money. You'd think, just go back to Sunderland. Just go just go home. Yeah. A move Come like on. that would do, because he's not going to get as high as he thinks he's going to get in the Premier League. That's a, the vibe I'm getting from him. The Jordan vibe mm. I'm getting from him. Uh, but yeah, just a move like Sunderland or someone lower down the Premier League. That's where the, I think your ceiling is now at 33 years of age. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what he does because he's still going to get picked for England. He's going to go to the Euros for some reason, even though yeah. he can't really contribute in the big games, I would I would say. Well, no, that's unfair. 
because there have been certain games where Henderson has played and he has looked one of the better players on the pitch. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take that back. He can still contribute to England. He shouldn't be getting picked in the squad, but Gareth Southgate runs things a certain way, and that's fine. I can accept that. But it's just the fact he went over there, the fact he then didn't say he went for the money, the fact he went and said, I'm going there to change, you know, perspective and the way of life and make an impact and spread a message and all that sort of stuff. And he hasn't mm. made a peep on that message after, you know, being a massive hypocrite after what he did with the Rainbow Laces campaign and all that sort of stuff. And then to just throw all that away and come back within six months. He's, I don't know. I don't know where his head's at. Hmm. Well, it, there's rumours that he's not the only one who's wanting to come back because obviously at Liverpool and Newcastle the other week we had Firmino and Fabinho in the stands as well. And the looks on their faces were just like, oh, I miss Anfield. It was good here, wasn't it? <laughs> um, just any 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 Premier League, Kenilworth Road. Oh, imagine playing in front of about 400 people in Saudi Arabia and then having a game in Kenilworth Road. It'd be amazing. Yeah. It's a good thing, though, because obviously we were sitting here in the summer thinking, oh, God, what's the Saudi League going to look like in two or three years' time? The more players that go, oh, I don't like it here. Hopefully that'll put the likes of Mo Salah off when the offer obviously or inevitably comes in the summer. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it's... it. it I think we'd said at the time that this could have all the hallmarks of it. Was it the uh, late 70s, early 80s, the first time that the United States tried to really have a football league and they had like Beckenbauer, George Best, etc. New uh, the Cosmos and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And China and 10 it, years ago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So whether this is a, a prelude to a proper Saudi league in a decade, who knows? Who knows? Hopefully the wheels fall off though. Hopefully. As, as long as they've still got Ronaldo there, I think they'll be fine. I think that's the way I'm going to put it. The, the, the league's not going to collapse overnight as long as they've still got Ronaldo. Yep. Sad news to end the news section on this week. Yeah, German football legend Franz Beckenbauer, as Clive has just mentioned there, passed away this week at the age of 78 after an illness over the Christmas period. His family announced the death on Monday. De Kaiser, Johnny Evans. That's where that nickname came from. It means the Emperor. He enjoyed a legendary career as a player with Bayern Munich, Hamburg, and as Jack Atkins mentioned, the New York Cosmos. His most notable success came with Bayern, where he made 582 appearances for them. And it's only four players to have featured in more of the Bavarian's history. Um, only four players have featured more in the Bavarian's history, I should say. And he won 30 major honours with them. And at national level, he won 103 caps for West Germany and was captain of the 1974 World Cup winning side. In terms of him as a player... It was, he was the, it felt like it went from Bobby Moore to Franz Beckenbauer in terms of being that ball playing centre-half who was ahead of their time. Yeah, it, it's it's one of those, I'm not too sure, like you said, there is a, a couple of years between you and I, but in terms of the footballer landscape, obviously when I was first getting into football, the classic names you heard of from the past were, you know, Cruyff, Pele, Maradona, Beckenbauer. And the fact that he is heralded with like you said changing it because that the idea of like you said the, the ball playing centre half the the libero the right I'm here to defend but that doesn't mean a can't attack let's just keep it moving forward at all times he's again even though I'm an old man he was before my time but yeah. the way he's talked about seeing the things he achieved he, if you put stock in it he's the only I think the only centre back to have won the Ballon d'Or twice uh, part of the Munich team that won uh, European Cup three times on the bounce. Um, yeah, what, what, 
what can you say? Super, there's not enough superlatives to talk about Beckenbauer. Ahead of his time, then after retiring from playing, Beckenbauer became the West Germany manager in 1984. He won the World Cup in 1990, heartbreakingly so, of course. And there's one of three men, along with Mario Zagala, who of course passed away last week as well, mm-hmm. uh, the former Brazil manager, and Francis Didier Deschamps to win the World Cup as both a player and a manager. You summed up there. He's just one of those names, isn't he? One of those great names from the past of the game that will never be sort of erased if that makes sense the legacy will never yeah. go I'll, I'll have to I'll have to ask my mum because my mum I remember when uh, Johan Cruyff died a few years ago my mum knows nothing about football but she went oh Johan Cruyff died it was like one of those that's like if someone who knows nothing about football knows your name you must be good kind of thing so I'll ask her if she must have known Beckenbauer and that's just a turn. I was like, oh, yes, uh, the guy who made 582 appearances for Bayern Munich, the fifth in the all time appearance record for the Bavarian club. Yes, I do remember him. <laughs> should be like, uh, when he returned from the United States and joined Hamburg and won the Bundesliga, was, you know, the piece de resistance of a fantastic career. <laughs> But I rest in peace to big old Franz Beckenbauer. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. it's a big big shame when you see one, someone like of that standing in the game pass away. Uh, we move from a big negative of the week to the highlight of the week. Do you want to go first this time, Clive? Well, we, my two picks have already been touched upon, so I won't keep you long. Uh, my two picks were both uh, Ibrahima Kanate lashing that fella's hat. I love that. And uh, Paddy Bamford. Just, it's watch it if you've not seen the goal go watch it it's it's going to be up for goal of the season it's going to be up for the postcast world all that it was superb what about yourself Ross yeah mine's a new story from last week in the build up to the time we had Derby of course I'm a Newcastle fan if you couldn't guess but Sunderland owner Kirill Louis Dreyfus or Doofus they should probably call him now says he was disgusted and apologised to fans after a stadium bar was decorated in Newcastle slogans ahead of the FA Cup tie so I was speaking about the wonderful accommodation that Sunderland put on for Newcastle last week that started with the two clubs bartering a deal where Newcastle got 6,000 seats in the Stadium of Light by doing so, they had to relocate a large section of the home fans because not only did we have the upper part of the tier, we had the lower part of the tier as well, that entire end as we saw on the ITV footage. In the middle of that tier, there's a bar, the Black Cats Bar. And because that was going to be used by away fans, and I guess the saloon were quite fearful that a wholesome fan base who never caused any trouble like Newcastle might trash the place, they thought, we'll get ahead of them. We'll see them coming and try and tickle their bollocks, so to, so to speak. We'll, we'll cover the Sunderland pictures, the slogans, the artwork, the whatever it is on the walls in that bar with Newcastle stuff. It's unbelievable. They called it a serious error in judgment. Uh, the, the stuff they did include it, having it painted on the walls, not just, you know, stuck on it, it was like painted. Keep the black and white flying high. We are united. And then someone took a picture of that and noticed there was a framed picture down below that said, cheer up, Peter Reed." <laughs> that goes back to the old song, cheer Amazing. up, Peter Reed. Oh, what can it be to a sad Mackin bastard and a crap football team, we'll call it. Um, <laughs> it is unbelievable. It's... <laughs> It's the worst thing you could do to your own stadium is decorate it in your biggest rival's colours. Even include little references like Cheer Up Peter Reed in the, in doing so. They even there was a bit where it was like I think it said Howe the lads, but obviously Sunderland spell it H A, Newcastle spell it H O at the start. They crossed out literally there's a picture of it. They crossed out the H A version and then in paint put on the H O as if they're like the Howe the Howe is wrong, but Howe that's right. <laughs> I did I. 
never realized there was a difference because I think I've uh, done the HA version to either yourself or our friend Aiden Gibbons before and probably made one of you just wince. But um, if I understand them not wanting to get the bar smashed up, but like you said, either put something temporary over it, like a blank tarpaulin or just paint the room white. Yeah. Don't be, don't be framing cheer up Peter Reid. <laughs> what, what's the equivalent for Liverpool? If, if Everton were, well, sorry, if, yeah, if Everton were coming to Liverpool, what would be the equivalent to that? An actual picture of Peter Reid. <laughs> <laughs> it's unbelievable. I can see what they were trying to do, but there were so many different ways to go about it than doing that. Uh, Kirill Louis Doofus will call you. You are the twat. No, the highlight of the week. I guess some people might call him the twat of the week, but I'm going to call him the highlight of the week because we'll never, ever, 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 ever see the likes of that in football again. Like... <laughs> In in terms of like an, an an olive branch, like a friendly derby, a friendly rivalry, a nice a nice gesture as an idea, but you don't put it into practice. <laughs> making a rod for your own back, aren't you? Yeah. So not only have you shifted, I think there were season ticket holders as well from their seats for a big derby. Um, you've also done that, and then on the pitch, you just bent over and let us just. <laughs> just, just win it was good a fantastic weekend there in the FA Cup for Newcastle uh, we go from the highlights to the Darren England and Daniel Cook Memorial twat of the week as I said there it could be Mr Doofus the chairman of Sunderland for what he did to the stadium it could still be Joey Barton for me because he's still going on mm. comparing some more female pundits to certain historical figures not the good ones the bad historical figures unbelievable what he's still doing this week but Bollocks to him. I'm sick of giving him airtime. I've got to go for Jordan Henderson this week. I've mentioned it earlier. He went over to Saudi Arabia to spread a message. He didn't go for the money. He went for wholesome reasons. He went to change the world. And now he's coming back because he's sweating too much. Yeah, I've we've we've he's been the whipping boy of this podcast a few times, but it's uh, it's got to be Jordan Henderson. Like you said, as as a Liverpool fan and also on a human level. I don't think, kind of feel a bit for him because to go and try and do something and then realise you made a terrible mistake and come back with your tail between the legs is not a nice experience for anyone. But at the same time, like you said, if if I was, they say money can't buy you happiness, but if I just had to suck it up for another year and a bit for 700 grand a week and then be like, right, I don't even have to leave my own flat and Sunderland for the rest of my life but I've just made an obscene amount of money. I'd like to think I could get through it. And I hate the heat. But um, like you said as well, it's it, it's the fact that he was such a high profile supporter of LGBTQ plus um, causes. Like we said, the rainbow laces, the the fact that he is just pissing his way, his, his reputation, the fact that, again, reports are saying that he'd only consider a, a move to a big European side. And although Ajax is still a big name, they're not even the Ajax of the 90s, never mind the Ajax of the 70s. So, yeah, just a bit of a, bit of a twat, isn't he? He is a bit of a twat. All he had to do, we said this in the summer as well, because I think we both said we couldn't turn down that money. If we're doing mm. the same job and someone offered us that much of a pay rise, no matter how much money you've got in the bank anyway, you're not going to turn it down when it's your job. It's, it's a very hard thing to say no the bit he just why didn't he say I've gone for the money? Ruben Neves came out and said, Generations in my family are now sorted because of what I'm doing now in Saudi Arabia. Why couldn't John Henderson have said the same thing? And then a lot of the heat that's on him 
would have been taken away because everyone would have gone, oh, well, fair enough. I'm watching that post office thing on the uh, on ITV at the minute, and the, the, you know, there's a lot. One of the postmasters involved commits suicide, and his wife then gets approached by the post office and takes a lump sum to not be involved in like the campaign against what they were doing. And the guy who was like leading up the campaign was just like, oh, fair enough. You've just lost your husband. They've given you a massive amount of money that's paid off the house, I think, was what the story was. Yeah. Um, I can see why you're taking it. I don't know why I've compared it to that. I watched it last night. It's fresh in the mind. But taking the money, we can see why he did it. Why did he just come out and say, that's why I did it? But like you said there with Ruben Neves, when Ruben Neves did come out there and said, you know, I've secured the future of generations of my family, everyone just went, so you should, good fella. Best of luck to you. And the fact that Ed Henderson's like, I'm coming with a message. I'm an envoy. And everyone's like, oh, shut up, Jordan. Come on, just yeah. say that your head got turned by an insane amount of money. I mean, when's he going to start? He's not got long left now to get his message out there. It's just, all it takes is going on his phone, should and just going, I it. <laughs> Like, I, I bet it is bad. He saw one fella who he assumed to be gay and nodded at him in the streets. He's like, <laughs> done my bit here. Probably. What a whopper. Who's your twat? Oh, well, we both had the same one, haven't we? Jordan Ennison yes, is the unadulterated Darren England and Daniel Cook Memorial twat of the week. Uh, welcome now to Brighton Hove Albion fullback Purvis Estepanian. What are you talking about? It's the segment where we mm. take a hot take from a listener of this illustrious podcast and then either agree with it or rip it apart because, as we all know, the beautiful game is all about them lukewarm takes. This one comes to us from Gord's Graham on the Instagram who says Marcus Rashford is the most overrated player in the Premier League. Ooh. It's a really hard one to answer because he is... He is a cooker tap. When he's hot, the water's boiling. But when That's he's cold, it's yeah. it's it's ice cold. You don't get that from a regular tap. It has to be a cooker tap. Have you ever used one of them? Nah. The terrifying. I've seen I how expect. Like I was tempted to have a look into one and see how much they were, and um, it's in the thousands. So I said, no, thank you. I'll just I'll I'll have a kettle instead. How- <laughs> Co-working space I used to work at had one, but it's it's not even like the water trickles out, it shoots out. And obviously, if you're holding a cup of a tea bag underneath it like that, and it's like, right, here's gonna be a rapid spout of a hundred degree water. Nah, it's not for me. <laughs> but it does it does sparkling water as well, doesn't it? It does all the kinds of water. Not, Ooh, there not, you go. not that you want to drink sparkling water, because if you do, you're a Tory. Um, but yeah, Marcus Rashford, it's a really difficult one to answer, because when he's on form, he's really on form. When he's out of form yeah. like he is now, he's really out of form. He got 30 goals last season, I think. I'm right in mm. saying. This season, I don't know how many he's got, but it's nowhere near 30, and he probably won't get to 30 this season by the time we reach May. Is he the most overrated player in the Premier League? I'm trying to think of a name to say that no, he's not. But it's hard. It's a hard time to answer this question because at the time he's got he's got some money in the bank in terms of what he's done in the game. Is he reaching the potential that we all thought he was going to get to? No. Uh. He's, <laughs> he's a good person. I think that's what kind of like wants me is stopping me from saying yes, yes that he is overrated. If you know what I mean, because I. I think I, I, I really like Marcus Rashford. And like you said, when he's going for a pep batch, he's fantastic. But he is the kind of 
the emblem of this Man United side the last few years. They're either cooking or they're not. They're never just like, all right, are they? Yeah. So last season, fixed 56 games in all competitions, 30 goals. There was 17 and 35 Premier League appearances. This season, he's got three and 25. He's got three mm. Premier League goals in 19 league games. Um, and he's got no goals in either of the, well, all three of the domestic, well, all three cups now, including Europe. Both domestic, one Europe. So it is, it's, it's hot and cold because you look at his goals over the last few years. In the 2021 campaign, 57 appearances, 21 goals. Very good. Well, good. Yeah. Uh, the next season after that, 21-22, five goals and 32 appearances. Then the 30 and 56. Now he's on three on 25. So it's like that, isn't it? Like a little roller coaster. Literally. Yeah. Rod- Marcus Rashford is Rodan Keaton. <laughs> <laughs> Life is a roller coaster. You just got to ride it or whatever the lyric is. Just got a raid. Um, yeah, because if 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 you average it out, he's he's a fifteen goal a season player, which is average, I'd say. Not even the average; it's just like average in the other use of the word in the actual dictionary here, not the football cliches one. Um, I'm struggling to think of a name. Um... I'm gonna. <sighs> Kai Havertz. No, because no one rates him anymore, do they? It's, it's may, maybe as we're sat here on the 10th of January, where people are still remembering the halcyon days of last season, maybe Marcus Rashford is the most overrated player in the Premier League currently. Like, if this was before a ball had been kicked this season, I would have said Anthony Gordon, but Anthony Gordon's been a revelation at Newcastle. Um, I'm going to have to tentatively agree then with Gord's, Gord's Graham. Yeah, Gord's Graham. In two weeks' time, we might be saying, nah, you're full of bollocks. But as we're sat here now, I'm going to agree mm. with you. He mm. is. It's, a, it's such a shame. I don't know what it is. Because it feels like he's he's got his position. He's wide on the left. He cuts inside this, that, and the other. That's his position. And now it's just the form is up and down. Why can't it be more just, yeah. <laughs> football doesn't work like that Ross it doesn't know does it um, hopefully we won't be sitting here in 10 years time on the whole and give football po- podcast asking Marcus Rashford what happened to that wunderkind well someone we will be asking that question <laughs> of. that was that was lovely that we we, we haven't practiced that if you, if you couldn't tell um, I went a little different this time because I'm talking about a player who had a long career who had title-laden career but I couldn't tell you anything they did and it's Mikel John Obi M- Mikel John Obi Mikel because at Chelsea 10 years won the lot obviously more of a defensive midfield player he's one of those that when he's doing his job you don't notice him and usually with those kind of players when he's not doing his job well you notice him but I, I couldn't ever tell you anything he really did, if you know what I mean. He just, but to be a starter week in, week out for that Chelsea screen. Anyway, let's get back to it. For Chelsea, you're of the same vintage of me. You'll remember how much of an absolute hullabaloo the career of the man known variously as Mikel John Obi and John Obi Mikel. That's not even his real name. Um, well, did you know he signed for Man United there, Jack Atkins? <laughs> we'll, oh, we'll come on to that, Ross. <laughs> So I mainly wanted to look at that and think about it because I was thinking, what happened to him after Chelsea? Because he just, he disappeared. And whether he was a true wonder kid in the terms of, oh, he's he's going to be a world beater is up for debate. But the fact that you had 
Fergie, Fergie's United and Mourinho's Chelsea battling over him. He must have been something. So he started with local club Plateau, Plateau United in Nigeria, the former stomping ground of your favourite, Celestine Babayaro. And then Obi moved to Lynn in Norway, age 17, in 2004. After six appearances and days after his 18th, uh, in 2005, his 18th birthday, Man United announced it struck a deal with Lynn for Mikel. United's website claimed they had done a deal directly with the teenager and that he had signed a contract to join them. His agents were bypassed as the club persuaded the youngster to sign a four-year contract without representation. Uh, Lynn allegedly sent a fax to his agents abroad, claiming their services were no longer required by Mikel. Chelsea, like you said, later issued a counterclaim suggested they already had an agreement with Mikel and his agents. Lynn denied the claim. Subsequent reports indicated that Chelsea claimed to have been involved in arranging the player's original move to Europe with a view to signing him at a later date. Further substance was added to this claim after it was revealed that the player had impressed Chelsea manager Jose Mourinho while training with the club's first team squad during the summer of 2004. I just dropped my little mouse there. Um, so... This is all rumbling on. Chelsea saying, no, we've got an agreement in place. United's like, oh, no, we've signed him. Mikel then came out and said, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm delighted to be so, uh, joining Man United in a hastily arranged press conference. He was pictured holding up a shirt with 21. Uh, following the signing of the contract, there were claims from Norway that he'd received uh, a number of threatening phone calls from unknown sources and was given a bodyguard. So then, of course, on May the 11th, 2005, he went missing, actually missing during a Norwegian Cup game against Klemestrud. He'd not been selected in the match, but been watching from the stands. Uh, with uh, He was with his agent, John. Remember the player, Danny, who had a surname that we can't say? Yeah. This is John. Right. The same name, yeah. What does it rhyme um, with, Jack? <laughs> uh, f- flitu. Flitu, like a bird. <laughs> Uh, so he's with John, his agent, uh, and they'd flown to meet, uh, where am I up to? Flown to meet Mikael, is the disappearance sparked massive media coverage in Norway. There was a police inquiry. The Linz director, Morgan Anderson, claimed that he'd been kidnapped. Like you're saying, he's apparently receiving anonymous threats. He's got a bodyguard. Man United have announced he's signed. He said he's he's happy to join, but he's looked, you know, like nervous in the things. It turns out he had been kidnapped. Uh, even though Carlos Quiroz, the then assistant to Fergie, had claimed that Chelsea had kidnapped him. Um, he had actually travelled to London with his agent, John, uh, and stated on Sky Sport News that he'd been pressured into signing the contract with Man United without his agent present. Claims that were rebuffed by both Man United and Lynn. Told the British media that Chelsea was a club he genuinely wanted to sign for. Uh, United made a complaint to FIFA about the behaviour of both Chelsea and his agents. FIFA dismissed these claims, stating that there was insufficient evidence to bring a case against Chelsea. So this was a huge tabloid thing, I remember at the time. Alex Ferguson's piss was boiling hotter than a cooker tap. Um, so he travelled, he disappeared... Man United thought he had him. He said he was happy to join United. Turns out he was in London. He said he really wanted to join Chelsea. In June 2006, Chelsea, Man United and Lynn, they reached a settlement to resolve the future of the player. Mikel's registration was to be transferred from Lynn to Chelsea. Man United agreed to terminate their option agreement with Mikel. Under the terms of this agreement, Chelsea agreed to pay United £12 million, half paid upon the finalisation of his contract and the other half in June 2007, and Lynn £4 million. So for getting their pants pulled down in public, Man United made £12 million quid in 2006. Not bad. Brilliant bit, brilliant bit of business. Um, so all claims as a matter were withdrawn. John Obi Mikel signs for Chelsea. 
This is a little tidbit though. In the aftermath of this transfer, and I never remembered this bit, Lynn, Lynn director Morgan Anderson, who had a previous conviction for forging official documents, was convicted of fraud and making false accusations and was given a one-year suspended jail sentence by an Oslo court. Chelsea then thought, ooh, since, since he's been arrested, let's try and get our money back. So they tried to sue Lynn for 16 million quid, realising that they just had to pay out the arse to United for nothing. But it wasn't proven by a court of law. So anyway, he's a Chelsea. Like I said, a weird one. I don't know about you, but he's one of those players that every every time I'd see him in the starting lineup, we'd have to ask a Chelsea fan who watched him week in, week out. I'd be like, yeah. how is he getting picked every week? Considering the embarrassment of riches and the fact they could have every player they wanted at the time. He said he played 372 times for Chelsea in all competitions between 2006 and 2017. Won two Premier Leagues, four FA Cups, two League Cups, Champions League, Europa League. Because it felt, it felt like when he obviously a very physically like impressive stature and mm. you know, he got around the pitch and that. And you, but when it came to actually playing with the football at his feet, it always felt like it was a five yard pass to the side, and that's all yeah. he did. But yeah. then again, you say like when a position like that, like someone like Busquets, when he's doing it well, you don't notice what he's doing well. So that would have to be a question for someone who was a season ticket holder at Chelsea mm. and saw him playing in with the, in the flesh every single week. Because as a viewer on Sky Sports, as I was for most of Chelsea's home games when I saw them, yeah, I, ne- I never understood him because obviously he was filling uh, the shoes of Claude Makélélé, who's you know he made that position a thing, didn't he? Uh, he had yeah, it's, I, na- it's named player, yeah, yeah. So he couldn't ever live up to him, maybe. But I just I never understood him. Yeah, anyone out there, if, you, if you're a season ticket in the Matthew Arden, tell us what did the... John Obi Mikel. Mikel John Obi. Uh, I can't remember which one he preferred. Mikel John Obi. Because his name was Michael, but someone spelled it wrong as Mikel, apparently. And he said, oh, I like that. <laughs> uh, so, um, so, like you said, he's there from 2006 to 2017. His contract expired at the end of the 16-17 season. He then went to Tianjin Teda in China, 31 appearances, two goals, left at the end of the 2018 Charlie season for Hep the Berra. I was going to say, that's, on a the, short. that's the only team I remember him playing for was the Berra. Yeah, but he only made 19 appearances and then was released and then went to Trabs on Spore in summer 2019. Left the club during COVID because he was uneasy about the, uh, the Turkish league continuing. So then he went to Stoke. I don't remember this in August 2020 probably because it was in 2020 and everyone's head, all our heads were up our own asses for, you know, genuine reasons. He made 41 appearances. For Stoke? (laughs) 41 appearances for Stoke. Martin O'Neill wanted him to stay, uh, but instead he cancelled his agreement. I went to Q8, made two appearances and retired. And and then again for Nigeria, he was an Africa Cup of Nations winner in 2013. But it's just one of those ones that, like, such... Media hype and furore, more because of the mental way in that he ended up signing for Chelsea. Ten years at the top of this all-conquering Chelsea side and then disappeared. Yeah. It's such, it's such a strange one. Such a strange one. But I, that, thought, I thought we'd go a bit off-piece this week. Yeah, maybe that feeds into our out, outlook of like, we didn't really understand what he did on the pitch. Maybe other teams were like, well, he's played a lot of games for Chelsea, but when we watch Chelsea play, we don't notice him doing... All that much because it was it was always the five yard pass the side. I'm like he needs to be yeah. doing a bit more, surely. Obviously not in the eyes of Jose Mourinho and Avram Grant and other managers like that, I guess. But mm-hmm. it was after that big old. Cause I remember it happening on Sky Sports News back in the day, and it, the, 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 it was mad just watching all that footage go yeah. down back then. It was like I said. The main thing for me is I got you know some Chardonnay about 
Alex Ferguson and Carlos Kiroz being absolutely fuming, but it was it was just a mess. And like you said, when you've got people going to prison for it and Man United making millions and millions over nothing, really, and Chelsea trying to sue people. And then at the end of it, you'd be like, oh, if this was for, like you said, if this was for an Mbappe or Ronaldo, you'd understand. But when you're just like for Mikel John Obi, you're like, okay. <laughs> Good luck to you. There you go, then. That's what happened to John Obi Mikel, Mikel John Obi, whatever the hell he wants to be called. That was mm. what happened to that Wunderkind. We will move on now to the Roberto Mail Baggio, Ross at holdandgive.com. If you want to get in touch. Happy New Year, Horse and Clive. This one starts. Hope you had a wonderful festive period. I put it to you, the jury, that Mikhail Arteta is a shoot bitch. I don't know why we've gone with Mikhail, is the spelling there, but fantastic use of the shoot bitch. Um, a real bitch. I think that's. What does it meant to be said? I honestly can't remember a manager complaining this much. It wasn't until the post-match after Arsenal's lost to West Ham that he actually accepted some responsibility for defeat. Always moaning about officiating, crying victim, and formally um, and formally complaining about the PGMOL about how much Saka is being tackled, all with the grace and dignity of a mum in her dressing gown and rollers, telling the school that her son should receive special treatment because he's a super special little boy. Shoot, bitch! <laughs> What's your verdict? All the best for the new year. The bisexual Bovril Botherer. Welcome back to the podcast. And that was sent from their Galaxy phone. <laughs> Don't know why I'm I, to paste that one in as well, but there we go. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. <coughs> what am I going to say? You're going to mention Jürgen Norbert Klopp, aren't you? They're in... They're, they're, they're... <laughs> Klopp's worse, right? Because Klopp mm. made this... Uh, persona of himself of being like a lovely guy. He's always laughing. He's got massive teeth that don't fit his face. Uh, look at them shine when he opens his mouth laughing. Ha 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 ha. He's a weird German. Ha ha ha. He likes heavy metal. Oh, he's crazy. But he's an arsehole. He is prime arsehole. In defense of Arteta, he's never been anything but an arsehole. Mm. <laughs> so to accept his arseholery is a lot more palatable than to see what Jürgen... When Jürgen Klopp shows his true colours, that bothers me more than Mikel Arteta. That being said, Mikel Arteta has been a prime, as the bisexual Bovril Botherer puts it, a shoot bitch this season, and I'm tired of it. <laughs> yeah, it's... it's yeah. I think that's why my I was less than humble before with like my frustrations about Arsenal's roles as media darlings before uh, with our FA Cup tie. But like you said, Mikhail, Mikhail, I'm saying Mikhail, now. <laughs> uh, Mikhail Arteta, he's, he just keeps moaning. And like you said, it's it's the idea of setting out your stall. Like Jose Mourinho, he turned up and just went, "I'm a knobhead, mate." <laughs> And everyone just went, he's class. And as a result, you're fine with it. Like, he was a bad loser. I think all the best managers have to be bad losers because you need that spurring you on. But um, like you said, there's ways of handling it in the press. I'm never going to say a bad word about Jurgen Klopp unless he's telling our supporters what not to sing. That's our decision, not yours. Um, but yeah, he's he's getting on my nerves, Arteta. But. Yeah, it's just it, 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 it is the lack of responsibility for maybe what his team does. Because, for example, the Newcastle game, I think Joe Willock admitted that he didn't think the ball was in. I mean, it's mm. inconclusive on the TV cameras. Well, that's a different discussion for a different day. But in the in the fallout from that game, that's all Mikel Arteta went after, not the fact that Arsenal only had one shot in the entire game, which was a long-range-ish shot from someone that went straight at Nick Pope. He didn't once mention that they failed to break down Newcastle and have some clear-cut chances. It was all about that one injustice. 
um, from the first half, which, by the way, it was from the first half as well, wasn't it? So they had plenty of time to yeah. rectify it, but they didn't do it. But I guess that was a convenient thing for him to just repeatedly bring up and Arsenal fans to repeatedly bring up for the months and years after. Because <laughs> they're, they're still going on about with Jagans on Twitter. They're still going. It's similar with, uh, like I said, the, the the FA Cup tie against those. They're like, oh, we should have beaten Liverpool, or we battered them, blah 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 blah. Well, you didn't. <laughs> you didn't. There was no injustice. I mean, it was it was a rare game for either side that didn't have some kind of referee and absolute mishap. But it is what it is, lads. Yeah, part of the game is putting the ball in the back of the net, and Arsenal can't do that as well as they maybe should do, as we're sat here now. Ivan Tony, come on down. But yeah, Mikel Arteta is a prime shoot bitch. Hello, guys. I don't consume much football content and social media, but I really like what you do and love the podcast, so thanks a lot for this. You're bloody welcome. Thanks for listening. Last Sunday, I watched my team uh, lost the final of the Mexican League with a very questionable, to say at the very least, uh, referee, and I'm still very angry to all of this. Is it Mikel Arteta from Mexico? Uh, my question is, what's the angriest you've been after a football game and the reason why? Greetings from Jose, or Jose, sorry for the pronunciation, in Monterrey, Mexico. Mm. Um, well, this season it was obviously the Tottenham game. Um, in terms of ones past, like usually I can, I'd like to think I can accept defeat. Like, like... The last Champions League final against Madrid where we battered them, but Thibaut Courtois had the game of his life. I was just like, we should have won that, but Courtois was fantastic. Bloody hell, this hurts. I think it was, I want to say 2011-12 season, maybe around then, maybe 12-13. Liverpool versus Tottenham Premier League. I think Tottenham put four passes, and I was absolutely furious because we just didn't play um, and I stormed off in an absolute huff after that game uh, that's the one that's coming to mind England Frank Lampard 2010 World Cup over the line by a couple of yards against Germany would it have made a big difference to the final result doubtful but I think we would have mm. gone in the lead would it or maybe made it 2-2 if it, if it if it stood as it should have done that's the most angry I've ever been after a game of football I mean when Newcastle got relegated in 2009 I was 16 and in a pub when I wasn't supposed to be in a pub and I punched a wall outside because I was angry at the likes of Mike Lowen and other Damien Duff was another one. I just wanted wanted them to step on Lego several thousand times and be really sore the next morning. Uh, but I guess that's the two main examples that sort of stick out to me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that Lampard won the World Cup. That's where goal line technology, fine. VAR, bollocks to you. <laughs> I'd, uh, yeah, I, I vividly remember that one because I'd spent the weekend in London. I'd gone to see Stevie Wonder. Came out, sat at the back, eating a sandwich, bit tired. And I watched it and went, oh, Jesus, that's bad. That's yeah. bad. Shocker. But, uh, shocker. You punching the walls just reminded me of my cousin in the 90s. Uh, it must have been like the, maybe the, the end of the 96 season. Man United won, maybe earlier, sorry. Um, and my cousin was just like in a mood and there was a road called Eric Road and he went up to the roadside and booted it because of Eric Cantona. <laughs> Is it Trollerman? <laughs> <laughs> and the Seagulls. Uh, fair play to all the Seagulls and Sunderland, by the way, for surviving uh, last weekend because obviously it's always a danger when the Sunderland fans are out the house and Seagulls are present. There was that footage of all the Seagulls on the pitch after full time as they were sort of like trying to run away from the Sunderland fans who want to shag them. Um, which I should explain. <laughs> I should explain uh, Sunderland. I'm gonna have to Google Sunderland Seagull just to explain. 
This is from the Sunderland Echo, this new story. Sunderland man admits performing sex act while kneeling over captured seagull. Uh, this is a news article from the 25th of April, 2023. Um, <laughs> David Lee, I'm going to name him. David Lee, 40, from Roker Avenue in Sunderland, admitted causing unnecessary suffering to the bird at 1am at last August the 17th of 2022. Gulls on the roof of South Tyneside Magistrates Court could be heard calling out as... <laughs> As the bench watched CCTV of the bizarre incident, which took place back on the, uh, the street of on the on the str- which happened in a back street of Gladstone Street, Sunderland, that makes more sense. Leslie Burgess, prosecuting, told the court that Lee chased one bird before picking up a smaller gull and was caught on CCTV looking at his phone while holding the bird between his legs and masturbating. <laughs> Once he had finished, he pulled up his pants and gave the bird a little kick. The court heard. Lee was arrested at a nearby takeaway and told the police he picked up the girl because he thought it was hurt and was looking for his phone to find out what he should do. But instead of searching for a vet's phone number, he claimed to have done. As he claimed to have done, police checks revealed Lee had actually been looking at porn sites. The court was told. So... That's horrible. I like the fact that he was just like, oh, I thought it was injured, so I decided to <laughs> give it a dropkick. <laughs> the charge against Lee initially said he put his penis in the bird's beak, but that detail was changed to say he took a wild bird and undertook a sex act, sex act, oh God, sexual act, thereby unnecessary suffering was caused. <sighs> so, well done to the seagulls for escaping. Why did I get there? Oh, yeah, Eric Cantona, sign being kicked. Yeah, Newcastle getting relegated to Frank Lampard. That's how angry I was watching football. Thank you to Jose in Monterrey, Mexico, for the question. We'll move on. I don't know why I went that direction, but there we go. It's always worth mentioning. Uh, final one comes to us from Costaman17 on the Instagram feed. Who is the most underrated player in your teams? Obviously, the Chelsea fan. In fact, Costaman, get in contact with us about John Obi Mikel. Tell us why mm. we're not getting what, we, what he was back in the day. His most underrated player in the current Chelsea squad is Conor Gallagher so who is the most underrated player at the Liverpool ooh um. I'll tell you what what do you think I'll go Sean Longstaff at Newcastle doesn't get mentioned at all he's the the first, when Sean Longstaff's not on the team you notice it more than when Bruno or Joe Linton's not on the team which sounds weird but him being there allows Bruno and Joe Linton to do what they do in midfield. When he's not there, Bruno and Joe Linton have to sort of do what he does, and that ruins their game. So he's a crucial cog in the wheel that is Newcastle United. He's got a pass on him. He can't finish his dinner, but that's besides... I guess it's not the end of the world when he's a centre midfielder. Is he a bit slow in possession sometimes? Yes, he is. That's his major weakness for me. But what he brings to the team far outweighs what that means in terms of his game. And he was a mainstay of the team that finished fourth in the league got the file of the Carabao Cup so I think just the fact he's not even been remotely even reportedly close to an England call-up when you you look at a certain name repeatedly getting in there Jordan mm. Henderson it's uh, it's weird uh, so I think Sean Longstaff is Newcastle's most underrated player good shout um, having a little think I want to say Kostas Timakas for us um, obviously he's you know Second choice fullback, he's been playing a lot because Andy Robertson's been out. He hasn't got quite the attacking output. He's he's not as good as Andy Robertson, but he's he's still a fine player. He's you know um, gets called up for Greece. He's part of their squad. A cup winning penalty for us. Looks very tired. Uh, it just seems like a lovely lad, but he's 
he's a good player. He, it, it's not like one of those like, oh, Robertson's out. Oh, we're, we're bollocks down the left. And especially until his collarbone injury, the only thing that kind of like took the edge off that is knowing that Robertson's coming back. But Timakas has barely put a foot wrong these last couple of months. And uh, yeah, he's because it, it's hard to say with us because at the moment, because we are doing well and we're doing it with a full squad it's it's kind of hard to say who who could be underrated at the moment it's either him maybe Curtis Jones maybe Endo but that's probably recency bias because he's been boss um but yeah I'm gonna see Tim McCass fair play I guess that is Andy Robertson just being his biggest sort of the weight around his neck so to speak mm. what's the way I'm looking for the fact that Andy Robertson's a thing that's why people overlook yeah. him I guess yeah, I guess that's that comes with the territory of being a second yeah. choice left back at a very good team Um, in term, let's, let's throw one out there who's the most underrated player in the world go on quick one quick fire go on underrated, underrated player in the world go on yeah <laughs> wow uh, was that Demba Bar? just the fact you went Bar. <laughs> yeah. Demba Bar. yes uh, I don't know. In the world, that could be literally anyone. Someone we've never heard of who's playing in Johannesburg. There we go. He's the most <laughs> underrated. I'll go for Endo at Liverpool because obviously what you said in the podcast, that stuck in my mind and that'll get me out of answering a very difficult question. That was it for the Holding Gear Football podcast this week. Thank you to Clive over there in the Liverpool. Any closing remarks before we go away? Uh, yes, uh, I was going to say I promise next week won't be a slapdash, but we're like 30 episodes, 28 episodes deep into this now, and an air of slapdash, I think, governs everything we do. Hey, today's been quite well oiled, I would say. Yeah, I think it was just because it was the early start. I didn't have my usual, you know, like bit of G it up. I literally finished my eggs. The coffee I had was my morning coffee. I'm usually on the second for the podcast. I just went into it just to, you know, raw dog in the podcast. Oh, yeah, baby, raw dog that. Bitch. Uh, but how, your eggs, how many did you finish on last year? Because Clive keeps an egg diary of how many eggs he eats daily and therefore an accumulative total come the end of the year. I did it for two years. I'm not doing it this year. It oh. was because I, I, I eat eggs every day. And the other year I thought, I wonder how many eggs I eat. So in 2022, I ate 744 eggs. What's that on average? Thought, two a day? Roughly, yeah. yeah a bit less. There'll be some days we'll have none, some days we'll have a three-egg scramble. There you go. Uh, in 2023, it was 725, so we were down. Um, but I only wanted to do it for the two years just to see what kind of correlation there was. Are you, are you on 100% record 10 days into this new year? I am, yeah. I know that for a fact that I have eaten 20 eggs so far this year. <laughs> but but I've not written it down, so as it goes on, I'll forget. Oh, we'll come back and check every week. I'll make sure to end the podcast by asking how many eggs have you eaten this year so far. Anyway, that's it for the Home Game Football Podcast. Please click on either of these two videos here and keep your arse on our channel because it helps out the algorithm and all that sort of stuff. I have been Ross, joined by Jack Atkins, and we'll see you next week. Stay safe, seagulls. <laughs>